poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Achilla and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a loving God, a gracious God who gives us all we need, uh, who calls us to know Jesus and to follow him. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that, to fight the good fight of the faith, to finish the race and to keep the faith. Lord, stir us on toward that goal and empower us by your Holy Spirit this morning. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I want to ask you uh, this morning a very important question. Uh, Imagine this, imagine that in a year's time you're lying in a hospital bed uh, and you're on the edge of death. Uh, You're dying uh, and as you lie there in that hospital bed, you're reflecting on your life. You're looking back on the life that you've lived. What will you conclude about your life? What will you think What will you say uh, about your life? Has it been a life well lived? And how will you know that? What, What measuring stick will you use to work out whether that has been a life well lived? If you do nothing else today apart from think about that question, please do that. 
That's exactly what Paul is doing in those verses that Graham read for us from 2 Timothy. Paul is at the end of his life. He's looking back at the life that he's lived and he's reflecting on what kind of life it has been. He looks back on a life well lived. I remember first hearing these words uh, as a 15-year-old at my grandfather's funeral. Uh, They were words that my grandmother had chosen to summarise his life. Uh, He had followed Christ and upheld the gospel at great personal cost to himself uh, and to others as well. And I remember at the age of 15 thinking to myself, that's what I want for my life as well. That's what I want. I want, as I lie dying, to be able to think, I fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And as we reflect on those words this morning, I want you to ask yourself that question as well. Is that what you want to be able to say at the end of your life? It doesn't matter if, like me, you're uh, still at school uh, and you don't know what your life uh, has in store for you, you don't know what career you'll have or what you'll do with your life, where you'll live, it it doesn't matter. You can work that out later. But you can decide today, will you live your life so that at the end of your life you can say, I fought the good fight i finished the race, I've kept the faith. And it doesn't matter if you're in the twilight of your life and 60 or 70 years have been wasted. You can begin today so that at the end of your life you can say, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Well, I want to invite you today to think about that question uh, as we look at what the Apostle Paul had to say as he looked back on his life. As he did that, as he uh, wrote to Timothy, he uh, reflected on three things that we're going to look at this morning. He reflected on his present circumstances, his past experiences, and finally, his future hope. Well, the first thing then that Paul talks about is his present experiences. What is he going through at the moment? He says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Paul's sitting in uh, prison. Uh, He's near the end of his life. He's probably awaiting his imminent execution. Uh, And he says that his life is being poured out like a drink offering. He's using language from the Old Testament. The drink offering was a, was a kind of an offering of wine that would be poured out, uh, sometimes on its own, sometimes with another sacrifice. But the idea is that wine, it's a costly thing, it's a costly sacrifice, and it's being poured out in worship and honor to God. And Paul is saying that, that his life is like that, that his life is being poured out in costly sacrifice to God. In Romans 12, Paul urges us, all of us, to do something very similar. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It's not that uh, the, the costly sacrifice of our lives is worthy in and of itself. 
Uh, it's not that the sacrifice of our lives makes God favourable to us, and that's what gets us into, uh, into heaven. Rather, the situation is that Jesus has sacrificed himself on the cross in order that we might be saved. He's done that to save us. He's done everything that needs to be done so that we can have a relationship with God. But because he's offered his, sacri- his life to save us, because he's rescued us at the cost of his life, We give our lives in return to him in gratitude. If someone saves your life, if someone rescues you, you live the rest of your life in gratitude to them. You can't ever pay them back for that. They've they've saved your life, you can't pay them back, but you live a life forever grateful because of what they've done for you. And Paul says that's what he did, that's the life that he lived. And even on the edge of death, even facing imminent execution, he says, and I'm still being poured out in worship to God. In the remaining verses in that chapter, uh, we see the kind of sacrifices that Paul has made. We see glimpses of that. Paul has been abandoned by Demas, one of his co-workers who's left the faith. Uh, Paul has sent some of his other uh, uh, co-workers to other mission fields. He's been attacked by Alexander the middlesmith, the middle worker who's opposed his ministry. Paul's faithful service to uh, Jesus, to, to the Lord God, has cost him dearly. It's cost him friends, it's cost him uh, the comforts of his life, uh, it's cost him even his life his life itself. But what's really amazing is that Paul has suffered all those setbacks. He's in sight of the finish line. And he says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly because there's still ministry work to do. Bring Mark, bring the cloaks, bring the parchments because there's still work to be done. He's on the edge of death. I've lived a good life. But there's still more work to be done until the day that I reach the end. It's such an extraordinary example and model of costly sacrifice that Paul sets before us. And it's a model, it's a picture, it's an image that we need to wrestle with if we're to faithfully live the Christian life ourselves. So you might come to church on on Sunday to worship God and think to yourself that God must be so pleased with you because you've managed to carve out two hours of your life to worship God. And Paul says, "No, no, no, no. That's not the kind of costly worship that God calls us to make. God calls us to live a life. Not two hours a week, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, from the cradle to the grave, from the moment we're saved until the moment we die, to live a life of costly sacrifice. We often see the call of the gospel as 
a call to a better life. And it is a call to a better life. It's a call to a relationship with the God who made us and who saved us and who rescued us. It's a call to a relationship with the living God. It is a call to a better life. But it's also a call to sacrifice. Bonhoeffer wrote, when, when, when Christ calls a man come, he bids him come and die. God calls us to a life of worship through taking up our cross daily, through being poured out like a drink offering, a life of dying to ourselves, of enduring hardship as our ultimate act of worship to God. So Paul thinks about his present circumstances and he commits to continue living to the very end the life that he's lived up till now. But then he also reflects on his past experiences. Look at verse 7. He says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul looks back over his life and he compares his life to an athletic competition, a race. How is life, his life, like a race. It's like a race, he says, first of all, in that it's a struggle, it's a fight. It takes extraordinary effort. Last year, uh, about this time, I went on the, the epic Blue Tear ride. I don't know if anyone knows that, Blue Tear and Atlas. I did the two together in one day. It's a 40-kilometer mountain bike ride. Uh, it's a 758-meter descent, which sounds like it's pretty easy work. But let me tell you, there's a lot of uphill in that 40 kilometres as well. And we cheated in the middle. We got a lift up, the, up in the middle bit. But it was, you know what? It was a struggle. I wasn't in great shape. I'm still not in great shape. But I certainly wasn't in great shape there. And it was hard work to get to the end. I remember uh, to, toward the very end, we were maybe one or two kilometres from the end, and, uh, and we came to a fork in the road. Uh, and my friend said... Let's, let's go up that little extra track there and we'll just add that bit on. And I, and I thought, I just sort of said, oh yeah, okay, let's do that. <laughs> Within about two metres of uphill climbing, I thought, this was a bad mistake. <laughs> I was pedalling uphill, my front tyre hit a little bit of a rock. And when I say a little bit of a rock, it was a little bit of a rock. And the bike just stopped and I went, okay, I'm getting off. <laughs> It was hard work. It was a struggle. And Paul is saying that the Christian life is like that. It's a long race, not just a 40-kilometer race. It's a 40-year race, a 50-year race, a 60-year race. It's a race that we have to fight to make it to the end. And sometimes it's like that, isn't it? Sometimes we're pedaling and we're making good progress and sometimes we hit the smallest obstacle and we have to get off the bike and we have to push it up the hill because that's the only way that we can keep moving. I think a lot of us have this idea of the Christian life which is if I can just get into the right groove, it'll be downhill the rest of the way. And to some extent, that's true. To some extent, if we keep ourselves in good spiritual shape, it makes living 
for God easier. It means when we hit those bumps, we deal with them better than we would than if we're flabby, spiritually flabby. But even in the best shape, professional athletes still get to the end of the race and they've got nothing left to give. And it's the same in the Christian life too. It's a struggle to the very end, even when we're in the best shape that we can be. So the Christian life is a race, it's like a race in that it's a struggle, but it's also like a race in that there's a finish line, there's a, there's a, there's a goal to which we're running. Paul says, I finished the race, I've made it to the end. And like in a race, we need, to, we need to keep aiming for that end point as well. We need to keep running to the very end until the day that we die. The reason that we're struggling, the reason that we're going through all this hardship is because we're trying to make it somewhere. We're trying to get to the end. Sadly, though, some people don't make it to the finish line. I don't know if you've been following the Tour de France at all, but one of the Australian riders uh, a couple of weeks ago just, just up and left. He just said, that's it. I'm not, I'm not going on anymore. He just pulled the pin. He'd given a life to training to get to that point, and he said, I'm not doing it. And some people do that in the same way in the Christian life. They start the race, it gets too hard, they might have run for 30 years. But it gets to a point and they just say, I can't do this anymore. Sometimes they leave and they leave the faith and they leave the church and, and we can all see it. And we can all say they've They've left. But some people just stop running. They keep turning up to church. They keep going for emotions. But they're not actually in the race anymore. They're just sitting by the sidelines, watching everybody else go past. If that's you, if you've given up the race, or if you're sitting here this morning thinking, I don't know if I can keep doing this, please don't give up on the race. Please don't stop before the end. Because this is the most important thing that you will ever do in your entire life. To make it to the end and to meet Jesus face to face is the most important thing that you will ever do. And you do not want to get to the end and stand before him on that last day and say, it was too hard. No one will ever get to the last day and stand in the arms of Jesus and say, I wish I hadn't run so hard. I wish it hadn't cost me so much. Because we'll stand there on that day and we'll know that whatever it cost, however hard it was, it was worth it to make it to the end. So the Christian life is like a race, it's a struggle. It's like a race, we need to keep aiming for that finish line. It's like a race, 
Paul says also, in that there's rules. He says, I've kept the faith. Back in chapter 2, Paul compared the the Christian life to a race as well. Uh, And there he pointed out that if you want to win a race, you've you've got to compete according to the rules. And Paul says here, he's done that. He's kept the rules of the race. The rules of the race are faithfulness to Jesus Christ. He's not abandoned Jesus. He's not disowned Jesus. He's not corrupted Jesus. Why do people cheat in sport? Why do people take performance-enhancing drugs? Why do they do it? They do it because they want an easier way. But it turns out that actually in seeking that easier way, they end up losing. They're disqualified. They're cut out of the race. A couple of weeks ago, Steve mentioned uh, Lance Armstrong. You know, for years, we'd all thought that he'd won seven tours. We thought he was a hero. But he didn't win seven tours, and he wasn't a hero, he was a cheat. And now, as far as the record books are concerned, he didn't even ride in those races. It's as though he wasn't even there. He didn't even turn up. He was disqualified, and his name has been wiped out. And the same is true in the Christian life. There are rules to the race. And the rules of the race are faithfulness to Jesus Christ. But people cheat. They change the rules of the race to make it easier. They say, well, I know that the Bible says that Jesus is like that, but I would rather Jesus was like this instead. It's too hard to follow Jesus, a Jesus who is like that. I would rather follow a Jesus who's a little bit easier to follow, who makes the race just a bit easier to stomach. They say things like, Jesus wants me to be rich. And so they run a race for personal wealth and prosperity. Or they say, Jesus accepts my sexual identity. And they run a race for sexual satisfaction. Or they say, Jesus promises you everything that you want and he demands nothing from you. And they run a race for personal fulfillment. But they've changed the rules of the race. They're still running. But they're not in the race that they think they're in. They've been disqualified. The rules of the race are faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And if you find that you're tweaking who Jesus is, changing him a bit, making him a bit more acceptable to what you want, making him line up a bit more with your values, remaking him into who you want him to be. Don't do it. Don't change Jesus and be disqualified from the race. Keep the faith to the very end. If you don't keep struggling and if you don't make it to the finish line and if you don't run according to the rules, 
you don't get the prize. So Paul looks back, or looks rather, at his present circumstances and commits to keep going to the end. He reflects on his past experience and looks back with satisfaction on the life that he's lived. Finally, Paul looks ahead to future glory. Verse 8, he says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says that at the end of the race, at the end of the race, stands his saviour and judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in Jesus' hand is a victor's crown. In those days when you finished a race, you didn't get a gold medal. You got like a laurel wreath. You know, you got one of those wreaths, imagine those statues of the Caesars that you see, that kind of thing. That's what you would get when you won the race. You would get this wreath that would be placed on your head And Paul says that the crown, the wreath that we win here is righteousness. It's the prize of being publicly acknowledged by God as being on the right side of history. It's the prize of being publicly acknowledged by God as having stood with the God of heaven and earth. It's the prize of being publicly acknowledged by God as having been fully and freely forgiven by God in Christ fully and freely accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the prize of being finally transformed into the perfect image of Jesus Christ. That's the prize. That's the prize, says Paul, that Jesus himself, the righteous judge, will hand to Paul on that day when he finally crosses from this life to the next. That was the prize that Paul was looking forward to. And it's a prize not only for Paul, but for all those who long for his appearing. Literally, all those who love his appearing. It's those who love Jesus, who've set their hope on him, who've put their trust in him and in his salvation. You know, I think as we we reflect on how difficult the race before us really is. I think it's easy to think, how will any of us ever make it to the end? Poured out like a drink offering? Really? Struggle every day of my life? Making it to the finish line? Competing according to the rules? Why would anyone stay in the race? And Paul says, because of the prize at the end. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will hand to me on that day. In the face of of the very real difficulty of the present race, God casts before our eyes a vision of the finish line. When I was at school, I don't know why, but for some reason I joined the athletics team for a bit. 
didn't last very long. And I didn't learn very much, I have to say. But one thing I learned was that when you're running a race, when you're sprinting the 100 metres, you don't look at the ground and you don't look to the left or the right. You look straight down the track at the finish line and you do not take your eyes off it. That's how you run a race. You keep your eyes fixed on the end. And it's the same as we run the Christian life. We need to keep our eyes fixed ahead, fixed on the finish line, fixed on our love for the Saviour who stands there ahead of us. And we need to pray that God would fix more firmly that vision in our eyes. We need to wake up in the morning and say to ourselves, I'm running a race today and I'm running to meet my saviour. We need to fix our eyes on what lies ahead. But you know, we also need to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus whose present kindness is with us as well. Paul says in verse 16 that when he needed help the most, no one came to his aid. All his friends, all his co-workers, they, they didn't seem to be there. But, verse 17, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says God stood at his side. No one else did. But God stood there. No one else rescued him, but God rescued him. And not just for his own sake, but so that the message of God's grace might be fully proclaimed. Well, what a great encouragement for us as we run the race to know that God, who has delivered us, will deliver us again and will bring us safely home. I think the vision of the Christian life that God sets before us is at times overwhelming. But will you open your eyes with me this morning to look ahead and to see with the eyes of faith what God invites us to see? Can you lift up your feet, lift up your eyes from looking at your feet to see the finish line? Can you see there standing in perfect holiness the Lord Jesus Christ, robed in splendour, with arms open wide, beckoning you on? And can you see in his hand the crown of righteousness.
the public acknowledgement that you belong to God. No more doubt. No more fear. No more distance from God. No more how long, O Lord. No more corruption. Just a church, a people of God, a bride dressed, beautifully adorned for a wedding day. And as you run and you fix your eyes on that goal, your foot catches a rock and you stumble. And as you look up, there perched above you is a lion with its mouth open wide, ready to devour you. And you despair and you think, I can't do this. And then as you look around, you discover that Jesus is not just there at the end, not just there with his arms open wide, but he's there with a hand outstretched to lift you up. He has delivered me. And he will deliver me again. He's not just standing there at the end and saying, will you make it? He's standing there and he has you already in his arms. And he's carrying you to the finish line by the power of his grace. What will you say as you lie dying at the end of your life? Jesus invites us to take hold of him, to run the race, to finish the race, and keep the faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are a most amazing and wonderful saviour who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, help us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Help us to take hold of the eternal life to which we've been called. Help us to fight the good fight, to finish the race, and to keep the faith by your grace and power alone. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.